subsistence. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and to the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, <clears throat> all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, this, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall, he be, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray.
Father God, we do pray that you would give us a desire to serve you and honor you. We pray, Father, that you would make us courageous and strong for you. And Father God, we want to lift Parker up to you this morning. We do pray, Father, that you would speak through his heart what you would have this family to hear. And Father God, we just thank you for your blessings of life. And Father, we do give you thanks for Parker's family, Christy, Thomas, Lizzie. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your many blessings of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We don't have to be afraid because God gives us his promises, his presence, and his word. Just be brave. Just be courageous. Don't fear. Be strong and courageous. Bear it out. These are all things that we perhaps have said to our kids. Perhaps we say them to our kids because our parents told us. Perhaps we even look in the, uh, in the mirror sometimes and just say, just be brave, just, just get through it. But you know, if we're honest, um, we live often with some level of fear in our lives, don't we? This is a, a plight common to man. We all may at least struggle with it periodically, but I think um, oftentimes, we, we live with a, a low level of fear, just like a, a low uh, level fever. You may not always know it, but it's with you all the time, affecting you. So often, we might live with a, at least a low level of fear in our lives. We fear a lot of things, don't we? We fear rejection. We fear failure. We fear poverty. We fear loss of control. We feel losing our health or losing a loved one. We fear losing people's approval. We fear death. And sometimes we're even afraid and we're not entirely sure why. You know, when you tell someone in moments of fear just to be brave, if there's no reason behind it or if there's no power or enabling not to do those things, it can sometimes be cruel. It's like going to a counselor with a problem and he tells you just to stop. And that's all he does. Well, if you could stop, you wouldn't be there. So too, when we speak in the Christian life of, of not having a spirit of fear, of not living a life of fear, it's not just a command that God gives us. See, by God's grace and by his love, he also gives us all things that are needed in order to fulfill the commands that he has given to us. We see in our text this morning a, a time ripe for fear. Joshua and the Israelites had every reason to be afraid. But yet God tells them, tells them, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you these things? Do not be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Fear not. But he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just give us the commandments. He gives us the why, the how, the for, the underlying reason and power and empowering that we need in order to not live lives of fear. And in this text we see that he gives us, in Joshua and the Israelites, his presence and his power and ultimately his word 
to help them as they seek not to live lives of fear. Well, they had lots of reasons to be afraid right now, and perhaps the greatest is they had a new leader. Um, you know, perhaps uh, one of the um, shakiest times in American history was when George Washington uh, stepped aside and wouldn't run for another term. What was going to happen? In Europe, from which we came, you know, when one king died, it was uh, often quite messy when the new one came about. Wasn't even always the one it was supposed to be. What was going to happen when the new leader came? Would it be a, would a democratic republic process actually work? God had given all these promises. He had, he had commanded Moses to anoint and commission um, Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. But what was really going to happen? We know it should happen, but what would happen? Moses, our leader, was dead. I cannot overemphasize or understate how um, dramatic this shift would have been. You'll remember where we are right now. We're on the plains of Moab, outside uh, the east side of, of the Jordan River, outside the Promised Land. We're here because God had heard his people in Egypt. He'd heard their cries for help. And he had raised up Moses and Aaron to lead them out of the land of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh. And he had met with them at Sinai and entered into covenant with them. And yet when it was time for them to go into the promised land, what reigned in their hearts? Was it God or was it fear? Fear reared its ugly head and as they saw the inhabitants of the land of the promised land, the land they were called, going to be called to inherit, they said, we could never take these folks home. All except for Joshua and Caleb. And God said, well, well, I guess you're all going to have to die then. I can't do anything with you. And 40 years elapsed and all males aged 20 years and above that were in the census, that is, they were not Levites and and were ready for war, had to die before they went into the promised land. And so here we are. It's time again for people, God's people to go into the promised land, and Moses wasn't there. Instead, it was a new leader altogether. They had reason to be afraid. Would the promises God had made to Moses, would they carry over? Would Joshua be able to handle the mantle of leadership? It's one thing to be the number two guy. It's another whole other thing to be the number one guy and have it all on your shoulders. They had reason to be afraid. The time, the time was ripe for fear. But they had even a greater reason to be afraid, didn't they? Because as they looked over the Jordan, what did they see? What did they see as they looked over the Jordan? They saw Jericho, the great walled city. They say, saw Hazor, the great fortified city. They saw the five Amorite kings they would go up against. They saw great giant inhabitants. They had plenty of reason to fear. Because don't you remember when the spies came back originally? See, it wasn't, they weren't wrong about what they said about the inhabitants of the land. What they were wrong about was that God wasn't going to help them. Numbers uh, 13 recounts their report. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. What's more, recently, archaeologists have 
found, according to one uh, theologian, uh, uh, letters written to Egypt from these uh, kings in Canaan asking for help. Apparently, there was an alliance or a vassal state relationship between Canaan, where they were going, and Egypt. And Egypt, the great superpower of the day, but the guiding hand of God's providence, these um, letters went unheeded. Perhaps the Egyptians had had enough of the one true and living God. Transitions are hard, aren't they? Transitions are hard in life. We've gone from one to two kids, and uh, transitions are tough. Um, Israel was in a time of transition, wasn't it? A new land, a new leader. To say that the Israelites were about to be taken out of their comfort zone would be the understatement of the year. Transitions are tough, and with any transition, there is the death of something. As you go away from doing something, being with something, an old season of life, that season of life is no longer there and you're transitioning into something new and unknown and the unknown always brings up that emotion of fear in our hearts, doesn't it? We transition in many seasons of life from one job to another to adding a family member by childbirth or perhaps with losing one through death. We transition from being the parent of a small child to that oh-so-scary transition to having teenagers. Lord help us. Um, we transition to an empty home after the kids go to school and then to a slower pace of retirement and to a new season in marriage. That's a new season. The transition to being caregivers of those who previously cared for us. Then we transition to the end, last season of our lives. Transitions are ripe times for fear are they not? Even if everything's going well, just the fear of the unknown can grip your heart and paralyze you. Fear is a, is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Fear is a very powerful thing. And fear is what calls those spies not to uh, encourage God's people to go into the promised land. See, the spies had forgotten everything that God had done for them. How often do we do this? When God has gotten us through many scraps and scrapes in life, and then another one comes up and we wonder, will God be here? Surely God can't do this one. See, the problem is unbelief. Our hearts are filled with unbelief, are they not? The spies did not believe that God was powerful enough to destroy the great, great Canaanites. What are we not believing that God can't do in our lives? What problem, what, what situation do we struggle with that, that we just don't think God's big enough for? So often, fear causes us, and, and perhaps um, one of the underlying causes of fear is that we take our eyes off of our Savior and put it on the problem instead. Earlier this summer, um, my parents uh, took the whole family to the beach. It was a great time, and we went to out on a boat. Uh, we were supposed to just kind of stay in the Bay Area, but we got a little um, ambitious, and we went out into the pretty choppy Gulf. Now, I've never struggled with seasickness in my whole life. 
least that I can remember. And so I wasn't real worried about the whole situation. So I, I drank a large cup of coffee and uh, had a big breakfast, eating it on the way, even tucked a little bit in my pocket for the rest of the uh, trip. I was fine in the bay. Then we got over the bar and things got a little dicey. Oh, when we got in the Gulf, I knew it was going to be real bad. Now what, what do they tell you to do? When you're seasick, when you're fighting seasickness, besides drugging yourself to sleep, you keep your eyes on something that will not move. You keep your eyes not on the boat going up and down and up and down or the waves crashing in over the sides. You keep your eyes on the horizon, which never changes. In times of great transition, times of great hardship, how do we get through them in one piece? See, our eyes so often are fixed upon the ups and downs of the boat and the waves rocking our lives. When our eyes are cast upon our rock and our refuge, our strong tower and our sure foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we focus not on the the walls of the cliff, but upon the sunlight beaming in from above, That's how we get through the hard times without too much fear. It's the role of the Holy Spirit who does this, who fixes our eyes once more upon our Savior. But when we fall into fear, there are debilitating effects, even paralyzing effects, affecting those around us, affecting our walk with the Lord, affecting our ability to make decisions. And so we we would pray with that Father, with the Son of the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 9, I believe, help my unbelief. For our faith is always mixed with fear, and it will be this side of heaven. But yet, in our text, we see this commandment. In the midst of all this trial and turmoil and and transition and opposition ahead of them, we have these commands in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, 7, and 9. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. God commands us not to live in fear but to live in freedom. He commands us to not be afraid but to trust in Him. But God is a merciful and gracious God and the very thing He requires of us, He gives us the ability to do through His grace. And in this passage we see these commands are tied to God's promises, His presence, and his word. And these apply not just to the Israelites and to Joshua, but I think also to us. We first see that it is tied to God promise, God's promises. When God promises us that he will get us through the hard times, we ought to remember how God has always been good to his promises. The whole reason we are here in Joshua chapter 1 on the plains of Moab is because God has been true to his promises. Back in Genesis chapter 12, back in Genesis chapter 15, in the covenant he made with Abraham, what did he say? He says, to your offspring I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim. This sounds very similar to verse chapter 4 of Joshua 1, by the way. The whole reason we're here is because God is true to his promises. But God makes promises to Joshua here as well and to the people of Israel. Verse 3, he says, Wherever the sole of your foot lands, there I will be with you. 
there I will give to you. This will be your land. Perhaps, uh, as one commentator says, it says that, that the land is going to be so big and so great that wherever you go, you're still in the land that God has given you. Verse 4, he's going to give them this land using uh, phrases borrowed from Genesis 15, I believe. Verse 5a, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a great promise as they are going into the promised land and they have these great battles they must fight. No one will be able to stand their ground. No one will be able to withhold them, withstand them. You know, we can be strong and courageous because God makes good on his promises. And we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all of God's promises are what? Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. How much more now that Christ, the promised one, has come. And he did what he said he would do. As the wrath of God was poured on him for us. It is through his stripes we are healed. God also gives us his presence. Verse 5 Just as I was with Moses, he says to Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. In the last half of verse 9, for the Lord your God is with with you wherever you go. What a great promise that when, when things get tough, God will not forsake us. We've all been let down by friends. We've all been let down by family. Those who said there, they'd be there, they weren't. Those who said they'd do X, they didn't. But God is not like that. He promises never to leave us and never to forsake us. Praise the Lord. Even when we find in the, um, uh, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, how does it end? Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always. Here is Emmanuel. How do we know that God is with us? Well, here is God with us, Emmanuel. That he would step out of heaven and take on uh, the flesh of man. That he would live a life not for his own glory, but for his Father's glory and for our good. And when Christ left and his folks, his disciples were getting a little worried, how in the world is he going to be with us always when he's leaving us? He sends us his Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We take God with us to every problem. He is there with us. And when they would go into the promised land, God would be there with them. But finally, so we've seen he's there with us through his promise and his his presence, but also his word. You know, um, but before any battle, generals get together and they sit down and they talk about what's going to happen, right? They talk strategy, they talk logistics, uh, they they talk uh, tactics, they talk about who's going to do what. And so here God is meeting with his general before the battle. And what does he say? Take so many thousands of warriors this way with chariots and spears and yada yada. No. The key to success is the very word of God. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. but You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Indeed, he, he ties his success with and fruitfulness to being able to do all that Moses had commanded him. You know, as we go through the hardships and trials of life, how do we know what to do? How do we know? If we've, if we've studied and, and known the word of God, if we've meditated on it day and night, God will bring to remembrance those things which he has taught us in those quiet hours 
as we pray, as James 1 tells us, for wisdom when we lack it. I think that one of the main tools that God uses is previous study in the word of God that we would know how to meet the challenges to which he brings us. God's word helps us to know how to navigate the complexities of the drama of life, of know how and what to do and what not to do as we seek him through it. And even as we seek him through the word, we find him there for he is present with us by his spirit. And we can't help but think of John chapter 1, which tells us the Word became flesh. The Logos, the, the Word, God Himself dwelt among us. So how do we live lives that are not ruled by fear? It is a daily battle. And if we're not battling it, it's going to battle us. It's a daily fight not to live in fear. For I think, I know many of your situations, and I know there are many reasons that your life might be ripe for fear. But as we walk through these times, we can be strong and courageous. Why? Because God promises us many great things. He will provide for us. He will give us wisdom. He will always be there for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He gives us his presence. And he has given us his word that we might know how to walk humbly before him and our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there is ultimately another Joshua. Uh, so Joshua's original name was uh, Hoshua, which means salvation. Moses changed it to Yahoshua, which means Yahweh saves. Now the Greek uh, Old Testament, the Septuagint, rendered it Yesu. Do you recognize that name? Jesus. Jesus' Hebrew name was Yahoshua. It was Joshua. And he has come and he has saved his people. And he has led them into an even greater promised land as we look forward one day to go into the promised land of heaven. And he has defeated a, a foe mightier than the Canaanites. He has defeated sin, devil, and even death itself. Do you know this Joshua? Do you know this Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us, God's word himself, in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. For in him we find our salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, strengthen our hearts that we might be strong and courageous, not an arrogant boldness, not an arrogant courage, but, Father, a humble courage that comes not from us, not from pulling up our bootstraps, which we could never do, but, Father, from walking with you and by your abiding presence. We pray all these things in our Lord and Savior's name. Amen.